G'day all, welcome back to Glory Days for another amazing story in the Tiger Tales collection. So action-packed was the Aubrey Tigers 1996 premiership, we have put it into two episodes. Part A takes a look at the home and away season and week one of finals. A huge thanks to the Joss family for making it all possible. Yeah, it was an interesting final series. I mean, we were, we were the hunted. We'd been behind a lot in this at halftime in games and had to fight back and win and so we, yeah, we had to fight and we had to find that, find something a lot. I mean, playing Rovers at Wang didn't go away and we never, I suppose traditionally, and it was something that was really drummed into us in the first couple of years, we'd never played well at the Wang showgrounds. Right. From the smallest ground in the competition to the biggest ground and we just yep. never played well there. That final was down there, obviously, so that yeah. was a psychological barrier to get over. Obviously, the next week we went to Raiders and something had to change and it changed. Yeah, there was, it was a pretty physical game. There was stuff going on everywhere. Obviously, Sparks turned it. He had just this way, him and Turns, just had this way with being able to orchestrate something that was going to change the momentum. Yeah, it was just chaos. And they knew their structures, and they knew, but they knew triggers to, to get a change in momentum. Yep. And they just did that. He was, he was going to attract attention. It was going to be a way to, I suppose, and this is what, this is one of his great talents. He's, he was able to put the attention somewhere where others could thrive. Yeah, he was able to divert in the right way to so others could thrive. And and he just did that. That In that final, so he did that in that particular game with the incident with Boney and Mick Moan. And, like, there was, uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was crazy as it was. Him right. and Simon and then Mick's come out and, I mean, our mates. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby and Mick are mates and... Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, it was interesting. Could just do it, and it, I don't know how much was it was calculated, and he just had this. He's just got this way of being able to do it. He always has. Rovers at Wang, Raiders at Raiders, Rovers at Wang, and Lavi at Lavi. That's the way it was. We just knew that you can you can throw whatever you want at us, but and that's that was proven. All those blokes come in. We just had a really close group. Like it was, and, and again, Sparks is great quality. Being able to. Get a group of blokes together, and it didn't matter whether you were number fifty on the list or you're number one. Everyone got along, and everyone did their job and, and trained as hard as each other. History will show that 1996 was the middle year of the Aubrey Tigers' triple peat of premierships. An outsider looking on could fall into the trap of thinking that it was plain sailing at the Aubrey Sports Ground as the premiership cups were being stored away inside the Tigers' trophy cabinet. But as you heard from Stuart Hodson. A special man, a genius coach, played a huge part in the achievement. The 1996 campaign for back-to-back flags was on track throughout a highly competitive home and away season that saw the Tigers finish second behind Lavington, who had won 16 games in a row to finish minor premiers. Aubrey still earned the double chance. However, a bizarre finals fixturing of venues left Aubrey fuming with every final at either the opposition's home ground or town. A bad loss, injuries and suspensions in week one of the finals had the Tigers on its knees. More about that in part B as an extraordinary final series unfolded. I hope you enjoy Tiger Tales 1996, Spargo's Soldiers Against the Odds, part A. Losses were at a minimum for the Tigers following the 1995 Premiership, but one that was big was 1995 league best and fairest winner, Morris medalist, 
did Simpson medalist, best on ground in that grand final, Kenny Howe. He'd moved to Canberra. The only other departure was Ricky Allen. On the plus side, the recruiting of a superstar out of the Goulburn Valley Football League, Stephen Ash from the Shepparton and Bears. Ash, age 25, had won two premierships in his 160 games and had won three club best and fairest. Ash explains how he ended up at Tigerland. I played at Shep for eight years, so just a local club down here, and I thought I just needed a bit of a change. So straight after the season, I was actually going to go to South Australia because Sturt had showed a fair bit of interest. Got an orchard down here, and the old man wasn't real keen on me heading over there for 12 months. I it was mates with Stewie Hodson, and my cousin Andy Ash was actually playing up there at Albury at the same time. So so Hodgie and my old girlfriend at the time, but wife now, she must have been talking to Hodgie and said I was looking for a change. So oh, a couple of days later, Sparks got in contact with me and I went up there and uh, had a meeting with him. He took me out in the sports ground and we had a bit of a look and I thought that'll do and yeah, signed. I'd actually been up the year before and watched Aubrey play, it was North Aubrey at the sports ground and it was crazy, there was I, there was a bit going on so I was sitting upstairs and I thought geez I'd like to play with these blokes. When I'd met him that night at Stewie's, uh, Stewie's wedding, I um, I thought, yeah, these are a good bunch of blokes. And I, I knew a lot of them were country boys from up Wagga Way, so I thought we'd be all there for the right reasons. Um, and the sports ground uh, was nice and tight, so I thought that would suit me, being slow. And, and well, I was probably a bit lucky in 96. I don't know, it was really a really wet year. The sports ground's not like it is today, so it was a, it was a cow paddock, so that sort of suited me too. I reckon there was three or four games there in the middle of the year. I know we played North Aubrey there. I reckon we might have kicked three goals and they only kicked one or something. It was, yeah, it was a hard slog, but it suited the way I went. So um, I didn't really know Spargs that well. I, yeah, it was really only Hodgie and uh, I got to meet them all uh, at Hodgie's wedding. So that was, uh, when was that? Late 95, I reckon. He got married. So yeah, Ducky and Cal and DC and all the boys were at that. So yeah, but I'd already signed by then. So yeah, I thought I'd made the right decision. Things got even better with 1993 and 1994 Morris medal winner Timmy Scott making a return to Tigerland after spending the 1995 season at the Sydney Swans, where he played one senior game. Scott's start to the season would be delayed by a month with an injury that hampered his time in Sydney. He talks about his injury and some of the fun and games at the Tigers. Yeah, whilst I was in Sydney, I had yeah, double hernia and it was probably yeah, osteopubis. So I got drafted late, so I sort of was in no infiltration, so I kept playing, playing through it, which wasn't very comfortable. But then when I got back to Aubrey, I was still uncomfortable. I believe I had an abductor release, which is where they use a blunt knife, I think, to free up the... So that probably put me out for the first month of the year. In hindsight, yeah, I don't believe they had hip arthroscopes back then, had a hip surgery or something like that. That, that might, might have helped the, the issue. But, so you pretty well had that most of the time you were in Sydney, did you, Tim? That So as I said, I, yeah, I went up there, yeah, got drafted 22, 23, sort of said, this is my last chance. So you sort of just had to play through it. If I if I rested, but I'll say Pubis, as you know, how long can you rest? Infinite sort of injury. Oh, I suppose there's any young, young, young guy, you dream of getting to an AFL club, so... Yeah, I was there for you know, 12 months, did the pre-season, which was uh, excessive, um, like 10 sessions a, a week you know, on the weights, five mornings. So you'd sort of 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock weight session, then I'd go off and work at uh, Rebel Sports Store and Bondi Junction, then come back to training for 4.30 and then train for another couple of hours. So it was, yeah, it was full on. And then, I, I don't know, you just see like the guys like Paul Kelly and Darren Creswell and you know, the, the effort required to perform like they did uh, well, like the Tony Lockett he turned up that 
that same pre-season and just exquisite skills and professionalism and all the rest that goes with it. Then like a Paul Ruse who's well, probably end up being a very, very good coach. He was just like a calming influence. Nothing seemed to worry him or bother him. Like you just have different personalities like in any any club. But up there, I suppose, it's like a little bit of dog-eat-dog. Dog. So, yeah, everyone wants a position. So it's in intra-club games. It's 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 full on. As I said before, we were just a close bunch. And, you know, upstairs after a game we'd go and then, you know, quite often there's wrestles and bury the – um, the manager of the club at that time would try to st- <laughs> get in the middle of these wrestles and he'd be on the deck, this probably 60 to 70-year-old fellow. So <laughs> bit, bit, a bit too much off to chew. Monday after the grand final, Jeff Duck being you know, one of the managers of the commercial clubs, probably in hindsight didn't think it was a great idea, but he, he um, yeah, we went there, we went there, went there for breakfast and I remember Jezza bloody letting her go, the, the old Sharon and hitting one of the chandeliers. So that uh, didn't <laughs> so, so Ducky probably didn't think it was a great idea to have a, <laughs> some of these lunatics there. Defenders Jeff Duck and Brian Kelly both decided to play on, as Jeff Duck explains. I had a chat at the end of 1995. 95 really was, for me, quite a challenging year personally. In the pre-season cop of 95, Stephen Clark and I had a uh, collision over at Martin Park in the pre-season grand final, and... Whilst we knocked one another out on the day, I was unfortunately landed and ripped my hand open on a sprinkler head. I missed the first week of the season with a concussion, but I then missed another three or four weeks while my hand was still healing. And I came back probably still too early. So it was probably round six or eight until I started to get going. And then I'd lost a fair bit of confidence around marking was part of my game and just took a while to get me back into the groove. And I really didn't get back into the groove till late 95 and I was lucky enough then to play play pretty well in the finals in 95 and then at the end of the year I sort of weighed it all up and thought what am I going to do and my Kel was thinking about going out to Holbrook for 96 and he sort of said if you know if I go will you come with me or but he said if you stay I'll stay and wasn't until one day I turned around and had a chat it was with dad actually and he said oh Without being biased, I think you got one more year left in you. And so I turned around and said to Kel, and Spargs had already indicated too that this would be his last. We jumped in and committed for 96. Always had in the back of my mind that 96 would be it, probably where I sat on it. I'd always prided myself on being able to say that I'd played at the highest standard I could for a long period of time, and I was always mindful of not playing too long and trying to hold on as an old bloke in the club. Coach Paul Spargo, who missed the entire 1995 season, was back on the training track and on schedule for a round one appearance. Spargo delivered another tough pre-season, with the only setback being a one-point loss to North Aubrey in the pre-season grand final. With Spargo's return to playing, the club engaged the services of former Hawthorne player Mark Turner as assistant coach. Turner had coached the Tigers under-18s in 1995. Turner was no stranger to the Ovens of Murray Football League, having coached Wodonga Raiders in its first four years in the competition and was a big fan of Spargo's coaching and approach to the role. Fairly short story, I suppose. So I, I actually coached Aubrey Thirds in 1995. Been overseas for a couple of years, teaching a little bit of a teaching stint in Hamburg in Germany. I just got a job at the Scott School. So to coach the thirds was perfect. Sparks basically just helped, uh, asked me if I'd help out in 96 as an assistant. And yeah, it's a great role with not the time commitment of senior coaching. And obviously with the 95 
premiership team and uh, they'd already recruited Stephen Ash. Um, yeah, there was plenty of talent there, so uh, a great opportunity. Sparks, I think he uh, took time out for everyone in the club and obviously with his family links, both his and uh, through Kate, uh, with the pains, he obviously knew a lot of the club, the committee, the supporters, uh, and obviously recruited a lot of the players. So I think they just sensed his sort of natural sort of passion for Aubrey. That with his skill set, you know, he's a really good speaker, meticulous preparation. He was really willing to let other coaches, his assistant coaches and senior players have a say in uh, setups and various strategies against opposition. So I think that sort of embraces the whole club and and really he was just as happy talking to uh you know Glenn Page as he was to whoever was emergency in the twos about footy or you know what they're doing off the field um as well as supporters so I I think it was a bit of a package there round 1 would see the tigers unfold its 1995 premiership at the Aubrey Sports Ground prior to taking on crosstown rivals Lavington who were muted to be one of the genuine flag chances in 1996 After Lavington had led by two goals during the second quarter, the Tigers, with 17 players from the previous year's Premiership side, flicked the switch to power away with a brilliant brand of football to crush the Blues by 67 points. The forward line of Darren Harris, six goals, and five each to Matt Fowler and Anthony Fobister and free to Paul Spargo, feasted on a brilliant debut game in midfield by Stephen Ash and Glenn Page. Jeff Duck kept boom Lovington recruits Chris Stuldrier to just one goal. So how did Fobister end up at the Aubrey Tigers? What happened was through Chris Nash, who was playing at Richmond, I was made of Chris's older brother, Kevin, uh, and I was playing, starting my footy out at Greeter. Chris had seen a, a few games and recommended to Richmond that they come and have a look, which they did. And so they invited me down to do pre-season. So I went and did that. That was a pre-season of... After '94, going into '95, yeah, John Northey said you can stay on the stay on the sup list, but uh, I was pretty heavily involved with family business, and, and and I knew I wasn't up to it really. There was a I just I just knew so many footballers who should have been there rather than me, and I did want to stay and try and take take a huge mark in the AFL. <laughs> that was my main that was my main goal in life. Yeah, I, I had enough to brains to realise that that wasn't going to be worthwhile, and. Uh, it's quite funny, is it? So I was six, six foot one and a half, and I weighed seventy three kilos when I went there. They put me straight on their their weights program and bulk up program, which I did really diligently for about uh, four months, and then uh, jumped back on the scales. I was seventy three and a half kilos. I wasn't sure they knew what they were talking about anyway. <laughs> and I was I was there with uh, Andrew Harrison, who'd come down from Brisbane. Harrow was just sort of doing pre season, but I think he always wanted to go and play for Aubrey because he knew Paul from uh, being up there. Yeah, so it, it sounded it sounded fun. Sounded like a bit of an adventure. And I, that sounds like fun. So Harrow heard that, and he got uh, Darren Holmes to to give me a call. And Darren Holmes, he was just a really good salesman. He talked me into going and playing. Yeah, so I, I did feel uh, pretty bad about leaving the Rovers because uh, yeah, they'd been good to me. Just I only had the one year there. I had an issue with my knee. Ultimately, I missed the grand final. Uh, my knee went bang, sort of bit of cartilage loose and. And it didn't come up for the grand final. They won by about 11 goals anyway, so it wasn't well, it wasn't a big miss. But so I didn't play. Was looking forward to the next year. Bit sidetracked with adventure, and uh, yeah, end, ended up at Albany. 
19-year-old Ruckman Lee Newton and Darren Harris six goals, along with Michael Buchanan playing big roles. The Tigers beat Yarrawonga at the Grove Oval by 45 points in round two. The Tigers had to work hard in the 1995 grand final replay, with Wodonga, despite having three more scoring shots, losing by 32 points. Darren Harris, for the third week running, kicked six goals. Jeremy Masterson, Stephen Ash, Dale Carroll and Lee Newton all impressed. The round four trip to Corowa featured the return game for Tim Scott. As Anthony Faubuster recalls... Timmy was a, he was a bit of an individual. It was really good to uh, you know, start that year because he brought, just in his mannerism and the way he played, he, he brought in, in, an intensity. Timmy was getting changed near me. I think Timmy liked me, so he was getting changed near me. Sparks came over, I said, now, Timmy, and he looked at him, steely eyes, and he, Timmy, you're going to play high forward, you're going to get right up, you're not going to jump, you're going to stay down, and you're going to hit the pack's front and centre. You hit the pack's front and centre, Timmy. And then they just looked at each other... It wasn't probably very long, but I thought it was about a minute and a half, and I thought they were both going to blow up because it was just getting more and more intense. And then uh, Sparks sort of had to get on that they couldn't outstare each other any longer. And Timmy sort of turned away and I thought, oh, Timmy's just going to do whatever he wants, I reckon. I was a half forward. Timmy's gone right down deep into the foot pocket. The first out of the centre, or shortly thereafter, the ball's come forward, and I wasn't quite in a position to, to jump. Uh, so I was a bit side onto the pack. And I just remember this. His little ball of muscle coming through at about ear height, like a, like, a, like a cannonball, on his chest about four feet above the pack. <laughs> and, and he's hit the ground and turned around, and next thing I know, he's got a goal, and uh, out comes Digger. Uh, Digger Spargo was, was our runner. No one knows for sure, but I, I reckon Digger used to just uh, soften all of Paul's messages, or a lot of Paul's messages. And Digger's coming out, and I thought, oh, shit, Timmy's going to cop this. So Digger comes out, runs up to Timmy, and I'm standing pretty close by, and uh, he says, that was bloody awesome, Timmy. That was fucking fantastic. Keep that happening all day. I want to see it all day. Aubrey, after a slow start, took over in the second half with Mark Jaray, Anthony Fobister, Darren Howard and Jeff Duck all dominant. Tiger coach Paul Spargo injured a groin. The round highlight was Benalla winning its first game in 677 days or 28 matches when they beat Yarrawonga by 21 points. The following day was one of the darkest in Australian history with the Port Arthur massacre shooting, leaving 35 dead and 23 wounded. Amongst the dead were Ballarat Region Victorian Country Football League chairman Merv Howard and his wife. Round 5 presented no trouble with the Tigers hammering Wangaratta at the Aubrey Sports Ground by 182 points, with Big Harry kicking 9. Lee Newton continued his outstanding season, while Matt Fowler returned in good style from injury. The same pair were involved in a funny story from the pre-season playing for Collingwood, as Matty Fowler recalls. So it was a good story. Lee Newton and I played for Collingwood. Um, Danny Frawley was coaching Collingwood seconds. In a pre-season, we got a game at Lavie, cracky game. And we got a call late. They just won a couple of players. And, but Lethal, he was in O week. And he, so he was on the piss all week. He fell asleep on a, around a pool on the Friday and had... Someone put sunscreen on his chest on a cross and he was completely red and he had this white cross and he ended up played the game and Lethal had dipped a probably million beers in that week and he fell asleep on this pool. So his whole body was red raw and it was just this big white cross. So he went out and we'll get that gear and line it up. And these blokes from Collingwood that are list players are looking at him going, geez, what sort of bloke are we recruited in here? Had the big fella go. He 
could barely move the big fella, and he um, he was that sore, and he was in the showers, and everyone was sort of laughing at him. And then you know, Jason Benny, good mate who I live with, we actually I think we went for dinner, but then he had to we had to take him home, but we had to rush him to the hospital that night. He was had third degree burns, and because he played footy, he got tackled, and there was actually a a heap of skin that actually got ripped off his um off his hip bone. So he had to have some cream and put a gel on there, and the big fella was pretty sore for the um couple of days. The Tigers were away to North Aubrey in round six and were missing Glenn Page, Stephen Ash, Lee Newton and Travis McLean with interleague duties on the Sunday, while Matty Fowler was playing with the Sydney Swans seconds. Scores were level at half-time after North Aubrey had led by 20 points at one stage in the second quarter. Michael Buchanan, Anthony Fobister, Mark Jurey, Peter Wilson and Timmy Scott led the second-half revival as the Tigers posted a 29-point win. The following day, the Ovens and Murray Football League defeated the Hamden Football League by 52 points at Yarrawonga, with Ash and Page amongst the Ovens and Murray's best, while Fowler was named in the best for the Sydney Swans seconds. Fowler explained his appearances with the Swans. Played uh, Teal Cup a couple of years before under Damien Drum, and he was assistant coach. They were talking to me about drafting me sort of throughout uh, end of 94, 95, but didn't get picked up, sadly, and then had a couple of good seasons. And then uh, it was around round three or four, they made contact and, and said they wanted me to add, add me to the supplementary list along with another great Aubrey player in Brett Kirk who went on to have a great career. We'd get a call on a Friday and we'd fly up there to, to play or Melbourne. Played a game on Brad Thompson from Wodonga. Oh. Uh, he was at the Western Bulldogs on the sup list and then played a game on great mate Jason Sheaver who was on the Carlton sup list. So I'd imagine there'd be times when Aubrey picked you. Train at Aubrey on a Thursday night and obviously have a good session, short and sharp, and then you picked inside. I'd go to work and, and sometimes the phone would ring between, you know, you'd just be waiting for a call from the Swans and uh, they'd ring at, you know, between 9 and 10 o'clock. Someone hasn't pulled up from training the night before, hasn't got through a fitness test and they'd tell me that they'd book me a flight to Sydney or Melbourne. Then I'd have to uh, do the hard part and ring ring Spargs and tell him that not able to play. Sometimes didn't go down that well to reshuffle things. It was, um, it was always, oh, okay, yep, no worries, mate. All right, see you next week. When did you have to sort of close it off with the Swans for the year? Sparks put it on me a little bit. Obviously, it was it was a bit disruptive to the the Aubrey side, not knowing whether you had me playing or not. I think I played about fourteen games with the Resies that year for the Swans, and then leading into final, Sparks just said, "Look, mate, I, I want you to make a call. If you want to commit to to the Swans, so be it. You know, I'll back in. I'd love you to to commit to us. Either way, make a commitment and and stick to it. And uh, which was pretty hard to take as a as a kid." He sort of put it on me and, and I made a commitment. I rang the Swans and said, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to commit to Aubrey uh, for the rest of the year. So, you know, I've got no regrets. I end up playing in a you know, good final series with Aubrey and, and a grand final and a premiership. Round seven at the Aubrey Sports Ground was a promoter's dream with the big improvers, Merleford, in second position, taking on the unbeaten Tigers, who were without key forwards, Darren Harris, Calf, Matt Fowler at the Swans, Jamie Stevenson, Hamstring, and Stephen Ash with an ankle injury. With no tall forwards, Tiger coach Paul Spargo sent veteran defender Jeff Duck forward, in which he responded with five goals. Alongside Timmy Scott, who booted four, as the Tigers got home by 29 points, with Dale Carroll shutting down Saints star Paul Atkins. Jeff Duck spoke about his move forward. I found out on the Tuesday night, I think it was, and a couple of boys joked about it. And then Spargs pulled me aside and said, no, we want you to play up front in the weekend. And remember the day, actually, because... Michael Quirk from Myrtleford was actually playing on me 
and we looked at one another at the start and he turned around and said to me, shit, you're normally chasing me and now I'm chasing you today. So, But yeah, I was lucky enough to kick five on the day and uh, but I'm not sure who was back next week, Fowles or Harry, but yeah, I was back down the back line after that. But a few times, 95, 96, probably yeah. not that often, but in the early 90s I'd played a bit up forward for sure. Yeah, I think he used to enjoy it too. Yeah, didn't mind it. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Aubrey had the bye in round eight ahead of a big clash against Wodonga Raiders who Aubrey had eliminated in last season's preliminary final. Darren Harris returned from injury. However, the Tigers were still without midfielder Stephen Ash. In a cracking contest, Aubrey kicked the last four goals of the game to run out 17-point winners, after Raiders had led by 10 points. Darren Harris kicked six, while Tim Scott was best to field. Travis McLean, Lee Newton and Mark Jaray were others to shine. It was around this time McLean organised a gambling day to fundraise for the footy trip, as Anthony Fobuster recalls. I can't even remember the exact reason. It was probably to raise money for footy trip. It was, it was uh, another one of Travis McLean's uh, inventions. So Travis organised a gambling day, and we're having it in the room, underneath the club rooms, and he Travis had a couple of mates along, a couple of uh, associates. Done the gambling day, everybody's been cleaned up, and uh, I'm not sure whether any money ended up going to the footy trip, but everybody just got cleaned up at this gambling day. It was a bit of a debacle, and, and Hoodle was there, Corey Whitaker was there, and Paige there, and Hoodle was sometimes a heavy drinker, most often. He had a bottle of scotch, and he's starting to get drunk, and, and Paige, uh, a funny man, and Paige grabbed the bottle off Pooter and put his son over the lid and pretended that he's sculling it, and Hoodle's going, oh, give me that, give me that back, let me show you how it's done. And Paige hadn't had a drop. Hoodle grabs the bottle and, like, really gets stuck into it. To show him how it's sculled properly. Anyway, who couldn't walk home at the end of that? And, and everyone was broke. <laughs> that was a good. Uh, Pages didn't have a drop, and, and truth be known, he was probably the only player who didn't lose money either. The long weekend in June was busy with the Ovens and Murray Interleague side playing the Mid Murray Football League on the Saturday in Swan Hill, and then a round of club football on the Monday. The Ovens and Murray side included five Aubrey players Glenn Page, Anthony Fobister, Tim Scott. Lee Newton and Travis McLean. They won a thriller by 14 points to qualify for the final in mid-July. For Newton, his rise into interleague football was a great reward, as explained by Tigers assistant coach Mark Turner. The opportunity was there for him with Kenny Howe going to, I think it was Ainsley, or he went to the ACT anyhow. When you looked at him in pre-season with his uh, attributes, his height, endurance and skill level and uh, the fact, look, I'm not sure exactly how old he was, 19 or so, I suppose, you know, you could see he was in for a good season, particularly when he was going to get that opportunity as, you know, the key ruckman, I think. Oh, Huda, Corey Whitaker would have helped him out a bit and um, Peter Brower actually came in, I think, uh, from memory and, and was a bit of a mentor for him. So he had plenty of guys to learn off and um, look, I, he obviously won the Morris medal but I can only remember him getting beaten once and that was uh, by, surprisingly, Rob Walker playing in the ruck in the qualifying final. He joined the long list of people beaten by Robbie Walker, I'd imagine. <laughs> uh, he did, yeah. I think I'm on that list as well, Yeah. <laughs> On Monday, Aubrey belted Benalla at home 211-66 to with Darren Harris kicking nine goals, while Tim Scott six goals and Glenn Page showed no effects of the trip to Swan Hill with brilliant games. 
Dale Carroll spoke about Big Harry and his cult figure status at the club. Harry was a ripper. Now, I don't know anyone who has a bad word to say about Harry or disliked him. Yeah, he was larger than life, hard on your sleeve when playing. Yeah, he was big, he was strong, he was fast. Come straight out of the system, playing at you know, the highest level, but so invested when you were playing, going Coco Cabanas, but he'd train on a Thursday night, train in runners. <laughs> he would play on Saturday or Sunday or whatever day in Cape Mundle Moulders. Didn't matter how wet it was. Once he was out there and you knew we got into his vicinity, he, would, he wouldn't just hit a pack, he would smash a pack. Those small forwards of you know, your Scotties and your Howies and Edmondses and Travi McLean's, mate, they just got on their bike. They knew, I get there, I can go to work sort of thing. He was a ripper after the game, so laconic, sit back, punch a Winnie Blue in, have a can. What a lot of people didn't know, like he was a cult figure. He would actually slip around to after when the thirds were congregating behind the goals and he'd give them a slab of beer. And then the thirds, they'd be punching the slab into them and they would follow Harry from end to end. They would give it to whoever was on him. When he kicked a goal or took a mark, they were going, it was it was like at Marubbin with them following Lockett from end to end, mate. He, he had this cult following, mate. It just grew and grew. So other people would actually want to be there because the, they were quite funny with what they were saying and doing. And But no one knew. Um, Harry was punching a slab into them to get them going for the day and away it went. It was... Uh, yeah, it was classical. I reckon you could run into Harry now, pick up exactly where he was. He was just that type of bloke. He was a great bloke. To complete matches against all teams, Aubrey made the trip to Wangaratta Rovers with Stephen Ash back after missing a month with an ankle injury, along with captain Brian Kelly and Paul Hallandale. Ash spoke about his return from injury. Bugs, he was just a great man manager. I remember one night I lobbed up, I, I got injured I'd hurt my ankle, but I'd kept playing. But then I ended up missing a couple of games halfway through the year. And I'd come back because I'd train uh, down here with Newmerka one night a week. Uh, so Jamie Stevenson's brother, brother was coaching them. So I trained there on a Tuesday night. And then on a Thursday night, I'd go up to Albury, train, come back, and then drive up on a Saturday. But, yeah, I got up there early one Thursday night and Sparks sidled up beside me. I was just sitting there getting changed. He goes, geez, you put a bit of weight on. I've gone, oh, yeah, okay. He said he said to me that um, turns, so Mark Turner said, oh, he's, he's, he's carrying a bit. So I thought, oh, I better do something about that. So I, I come home and, um, yeah, for about a month there, I, I worked pretty hard and got myself going again. So he just, just pushed the right buttons. But, yeah, he was just a really good man manager. Uh, yeah, knew what buttons to push. And, um, yeah, he certainly knew his stuff too. Like he was – just a really professional outfit. And like the whole league was compared to like down here, it was probably a little bit more professional, I reckon. Yeah. In one of the games of the season, Wangaratta Rovers inflicted the Tigers' first defeat in a seesawing encounter, 14 goals 12 to 14 goals 8. Rovers, at one stage in the third quarter, had led by 32 points before Aubrey kicked nine unanswered goals to lead by 23 points midway through the final term. Rovers came back and kicked the final four goals of the game to hand Aubrey its first defeat in a home-and-away match in 27 games. Darren Harris kicked six to be in the Tigers' best, along with Andrew Harrison, Tim Scott and Lee Newton. Round 12 was another epic contest as Lavington made it back-to-back losses for Aubrey with a gripping one-point win as another Tiger fade-out proved costly. 
Aubrey looked home and hosed, leading by 34 points halfway through the final quarter, before Lavington cut loose with six straight goals to snatch a pulsating victory. Glenn Page, Peter Wilson, Stephen Ash and Michael Buchanan were amongst Aubrey's best. The Tigers bounced back in round 13 with an easy 86-point win over Yarrawonga, with Darren Harris landing eight goals, Mark Jaray, Paul Hallandale, Stuart Hodgson, Stephen Ash and Glenn Page all played superbly. Then Page explains how he initially made his way to Aubrey. I'd known Paul, so I had a stint at North Melbourne while Paul was there. I guess that was the connection. When I got cut from North Melbourne, I went and spent it down at Sandringham. Paul went to Brisbane, and then he ended up uh, taking the helm at, at Aubrey, and obviously they'd come off uh, a wooden spoon. You know, They'd put, obviously, people in the background and put plans in place for Aubrey to back up the ladder and put in... Sparks at the helm, and so he'd engaged um, Darren Holmes as his sort of right recruiting guy. And you know, we'd been having chats, and uh, Holmes he was very persistent. He probably thought I was probably a bit cold on the idea. It's just that I had a lot going on at the time. Originally, I was going to I'd had a position in Wagga, and that's where I'm originally from. So I had a job to go back to Wagga at the RAF base. Um, I was just going to travel down to Albury. The club was still looking for a job, and it wasn't until the final hour. I think it was on the Friday. They said, oh, I've got a job for you in Albury. And so on the Monday, I had to ring the RAF base and uh, tell them I wasn't coming in. So, But as it turned out, it was good. I got a job locally, and I didn't have to worry about training with you know someone else and travelling. That was sort of you know, the connection of coming to Albury was probably through that relationship through Paul. It was heavy going at Martin Park, Wodonga, and it was hard work for Albury as he informed Wodonga threatened an upset when they led by 19 points in the third quarter. The Tigers had lost star Ruckman Lee Newton and Anthony Sphobister with injury in the first quarter. A huge final 40 minutes with Glenn Page, Corey Whitaker, Brian Kelly, Stephen Ash, Mark Duray and Travis McLean all-starring ensured the Tigers held top spot with a gutsy 14-point victory. Club football took a rest for the Victorian Country Football League Grand Final at Martin Park, Wodonga, where the Ovens and Murray Football League took out its first title since 1987 and its eighth overall with a thrilling 15-12-102 to 14-10-94 over Geelong. Tim Sanson was best with seven goals. Aubrey's quartet, Timmy Scott, who took a mark of the year contender, Glenn Page, Stephen Ash and Travis McLean all played well. A muddy track at the sports ground saw the home side take a 25-point win over Coral Glen with a late last quarter goal to the Tigers being the only goal kicked in the second half, with only eight for the match. Glenn Page, Lee Newton, Stuart Hodson and Brian Kelly revelled in the conditions. Round 16 was a trip down the Hume Highway where the Tigers appeared to have more focus on the Mad Hatter's ball later in the night than its opponent. Wangaratta served it up to the visitors and in return, Coach Paul Spargo served it up to his troops as Mark Jaray recalls the half-time interval. Well, I don't think we ever played well down at Wang. Um, that particular day was the same thing. Sparg's obviously famous for his, um, for his sprays. This day happened to be my turn and probably lucky it got cut short halfway through the spray. So late the second quarter, just before half-time, I got taken off having a shocker. Head wasn't in the game and not my day. Yeah, so I came off and just before half-time and it was... There was no rotations back then. It was, so if you're on the bench, you knew uh, you're going to spend a bit of time there. Not the whole game, but a bit of time. 
So half time, walk into the change rooms and um, we used to have our, like the kit bag there. So they used to have the um, old jackets and dressing gowns and that. And I thought, oh, you know, it's pretty cold and wet and I'm going to be sitting out there. So I might grab one of those, prepare for the third quarter on the bench. They used to put the stats board there, which was big clipboard of like plywood, which was like an A3 sheet of broad sheet of paper and it, yep. it used to get sat there at half time and that was the last thing I wanted to be looking at was the stat pool because I hadn't bloody touched it. I'm over there filing through trying to find a dry uh, jacket. Sparks walks in and he's just teed off. He said, right, everyone over the corner. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to cop it. He's seen me over there and he, I think he thought I was looking at checking out the stat. Grabbed one of the dry jackets. I've headed over and I'm sitting next to Bucket Clark, just ready to cop the spray and he's launched and he's really given it to me, but I deserved it. I was going no good, so there's no drama. And But anyway, halfway through, he goes, oh, all you're worried about is getting stats. He said, I'll show you stats. And he's gone over and he's picked up this big plywood clipboard and he's just thrown it and it's hit the roof and it's ricocheted down and landed right at our feet. But at the same time, as it's hit the roof, this big chunk of plaster has fallen from the roof hit Bucket's head. I've looked at him, I've sort of half started laughing and it's looked like he's had his head dipped in powder. It's all, he's all white. He's trying to keep his focus on Sparks. He's skin with all this powder in his eye. He didn't flinch. He was just keeping the gaze because if you, you know, if you moved, you'd cop the next spray and I'm there like sort of laughing and which is not the thing to do when Sparks is giving you a spray. And then I look over at some of the other guys who were a bit further on the other end and they were all smirking and I think sort of Spar had seen all that and sort of stopped mid spray and sort of oh. off we went. So yeah, um yeah, bucket cop that. <laughs> <laughs> to cap off a tough day for Spargs, he was reported for conduct unbecoming when he refused to move back from the boundary line by umpire Shane McDonald. He was two days later given a severe reprimand at the tribunal. Eight days later, the Tigers were back home on what was still a very heavy Aubrey sports ground to take on North Aubrey. The Tigers won comfortably 16-11 to two goals four, with the Hoppers only two goals coming in the final term. Travis McLean with three goals was best to field, with Mark Jure, Stephen Ash and Jeremy Masterson all playing well. Glenn Page missed the North Aubrey clash due to representative commitments with Vic Country in Cairns at the Australian Country Carnival. It was a highly successful trip for Glenn Page. Had made the Victorian country team and we were travelling up to, to Cairns to play. The change in climate at that time of year was uh, was was magic. Cairns, it might have been like mid-20s. It was just fine, beautiful, playing on a hard deck. We sort of hadn't been used to for a while. I nearly didn't get there. The week before, we were playing against Wangaratta down at, at Wang. I did my ankle. I did it pretty bad, but I was sort of lucky that I got advice from... Oh, Ray Thomas and uh, and Shane Rubbo, the club physio. So they gave me a program, which meant that I had to get, set the alarm clock every hour, you know, have the compression, do the hot and cold and uh, just keep moving it. So I was pretty keen to get away. So I, um, it was bloody tough. Yeah, no, it was it was good. We travelled down to Melbourne the following day for a training run with the big um, country. And we had a large contingent of um, Ovens and Murray players that had made it, so that was good. And um, the club doctor, he sort of gave me the benefit, and uh, we were up there. Played three games against the other states that were involved in it. I think it was South Australia, West Australia, Queensland. We won that pretty comfortably, most of the, all of our matches. Um, there were three full games that we played. Playing in those conditions, and uh, you know, by the end of that carnival, and that probably pretty knackered. But, I mean, you had the benefit of going to the ocean and that there for your recovery, and 
quite a few of um, the big country guys that made the um, the All Australian team, and uh, quite a few um, Ovens and Murray guys as well. Obviously, Robbie Walker, and Gavin Chesser, and uh, you know, sprinkling of other players. And uh, I was lucky enough to be included in that. So that was a. Um, I had at the start of the year when uh, you know Spargs and that there had got us to set goals as a goal and at there to you know to make the big country team and to you know compete at those championships. It was a box that I ticked. Yeah, so I was I was pretty proud of it. Finish up at Cairns, beautiful weather. What was next on the agenda? Travel to Myrtleford in Myrtleford at the back. Yeah, you know, in uh, in August, and so we'd gone from twenty five to I think it might. Thirty-five degrees that day. I think Anthony Fobus might have even had a, a bit of hypothermia set in, and uh, it was a bloody tough slog. Just scraped in, uh, you know, in, in the last quarter. I can't say I ever really enjoyed because you always knew you're going to get bloody battered and bruised. And a schoolboy was caught smoking in the tobacco town of Myrtleford on Saturday. It was his boots that were on fire. The Border Mail's Simon Dalhunty describing the outstanding five-goal performance by 17-year-old Tiger Heath Usher in just his fourth senior game. An ugly brawl erupted at the end of the match with players, spectators and officials trading punches after Aubrey kicked the final five goals to come from behind and beat Myrtleford by 27 points. Mark Jaray, Andrew Harrison and Dale Carroll were amongst the Tigers' best as they then enjoyed a round 19 bye ahead of its final home and away round at the sports ground against Wodonga Raiders. Going into the final round, the battle for top spot was on a knife edge, with Lavington and Aubrey equal on 15 wins and two losses. Lavington held top position by 0.38%. What made top position even more prized in this season was the announcement by the Owens Murray Football League of the finals venues. The qualifying final between second and third had been allocated to the Wangaratta showgrounds, meaning that either Aubrey or Lavington would be playing Wangaratta Rovers in Wangaratta. Week two of the finals had the winner of the elimination final, Raiders or Myrtleford, being allocated a home final. To say Aubrey and Lavington were livid was an understatement. Both clubs were furious and took their frustration to the media. Finals farce was a headline, Lavington coach Bruce Stewart said. They've turned the clock back 100 years with incompetence. They can't be serious with what they have done. While Paul Spargo wanted answers on how a fourth and fifth place side could get a home final. It's amateurish and it's farcical, said Spargo. On releasing the venues, Owens Murray Football League General Manager Ron Montgomery said he was not expecting much criticism from the clubs on the venues. Meanwhile, to keep things interesting, three days before the final round, Benalla's application to join the Golden Valley Football League for the 1997 season was voted in by club delegates of the GV. Benalla now needed approval from the Ovens and Murray Football League to finish a 50-year association with the Ovens and Murray Football League. Aubrey went into the final round clash with a full list, bar forward Matt Fowler, who was again playing with the Swans. Rover Michael Buchanan was back from injury, while Dale Carroll was playing his 100th senior game. Wodonga Raiders, missing five top-line players, made it back-to-back losses for Aubrey with a six-point win after Aubrey had again coughed up a substantial last-quarter lead of 19 points. Perhaps the Tigers were aware Lavington were hammering Wangaratta and would finish top of the ladder even if Aubrey had won by 20 goals. To make matters worse... Aubrey's Glenn Page left the ground with a groin injury in the second term and captain 
Brian Kelly injured a quadricep that would put his finals in serious doubt. Aubrey had nine more scoring shots, and forwards Darren Howard, Heath Usher, and Timmy Scott all kicked three goals. So the top five finished with Lavington, minor premier, Aubrey second, Wang Rovers third. Myrtleford finished fourth to qualify for the finals for the first time since 1984, and Wodonga Raiders were fifth. Aubrey seconds finished unbeaten minor premiers, while the Tiger thirds finished in third spot. The Evans Murray Football League board held a meeting to review the finals venues following a flood of negative feedback. They met and decided nothing would change. At the same meeting, it was also decided to refuse Benalla's application to join the GV. The Demons would eventually be cleared by the VCFL. Both Glenn Page and Brian Kelly failed fitness tests. In better news, Matt Fowler and Paul Hallandale returned for the qualifying final. In Kelly's absence, Michael Buchanan was acting captain for the trip down the highway to take on the Wangaratta Rovers. It was a dirty old day weather-wise with a howling wind to one end of the ground and a dirty old day for the Tigers, who could have been blown away in the first term when the Wangaratta Rovers kicked three goals nine to nothing. Aubrey fought back hard to trail by 11 points at half-time and then remarkably kicked two goals into the breeze in the third quarter to hit the lead before Rovers hit back with four goals to lead by 25 points at three-quarter time. Despite having the breeze at its back in the last term, Aubrey were outscored by the Hawks, who won comfortably by 32 points. Best in defeat were Mark Jure, Andrew Harrison, Paul Hallandale, Anthony Fobister and Peter Wilson. Darren Harris kicked three of the Tigers' six goals. To make matters worse for the Tigers, Darren Howard, hamstring, Lee Newton, thigh, Mark Jure, hamstring, were all in serious doubt for the following week. The bad news didn't finish there, with acting captain Michael Buchanan and Jeremy Masterson both reported for striking. Michael Buchanan recalls the reports. It was a dirty day. I uh, pointed captain for the day. Brian Kelly was out, obviously, and in the first quarter there, I got myself reported. What happened there? Oh, well, mate, I down in the back line, and the ball was sort of right near the goal mouth. Anyway, I got the footy and uh, took off. I came across Ronnie Ferguson. He um, put up a, a bit of an elbow and got me in the face. And yeah, I had a short fuse that day, obviously, and reacted. I gave him an open hand. I didn't actually punch him. <laughs> it was actually a, a slap. It was pretty ordinary, actually, but I ended up getting myself reported. Yeah, as I said, it turned out to be a pretty ordinary day for us. Uh, 12 scoring shots there, nothing in the first quarter. Yeah, so that was my uh, uh, lead into leadership. And, and uh, was, yeah, did do a good job that time. And then uh, that was the first quarter, but then uh, one of your um, partners in crime also got in the book in the third quarter. Yes, he did, mate. He um, His was a little bit more aggressive than me, I believe. Jason Gorman, he was on the ground and he let, let a punch go at, uh, at Jezza. Jezza reacted pretty swiftly and gave him a beautiful right on the ground. And uh, Jezza got reported as well. So we weren't too popular with Paul uh, after both getting reported and, and, and getting a loss down there. So it wasn't a good day overall, mate. But it was funny, Robbie, like um, after the game, after it all cooled down a little bit, me and Jezza, you know, we had a bit of discussions about things. And I just said to him, mate, I reckon for what I did, I'll probably get off. But for what you did, I reckon you'll get six weeks. I'll oh, probably a bit hard, maybe four. But, but as it turns out, Robbie, we went into the tribunal and uh, we both got a week each. Yeah, in the scheme of things, we're probably lucky that's all we got.
The Monday night tribunal added further pain to the Tiger camp, with both Buchanan and Masterson suspended for one week, meaning they would miss the first semi-final against the rampant Wodonga Raiders, who had destroyed Myrtleford by 88 points in the elimination final. Adding further salt into the wound would be that the well-publicised fact that the game would be held at Wodonga Raiders' home ground, Lee Park. It was backs to the wall for the Tigers. They were on their knees as Raiders loomed for a knockout blow ahead of a wild West Wodonga showdown. There you go. That completes part A of Tiger Tales, Spargo's Soldiers Against All Odds. Make sure you join us for part B, which takes a deep dive into the last three weeks of finals that has gone down in Aubrey Tigers folklore for what the club was able to achieve. Thank you again to the Joss family for making it all possible. For now, stay safe. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to catching you again on Glory Days for part B.